Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. I have here with me today a marketer right down to the bone who is focused on technology businesses. With 20 years of experience in marketing roles, achieving seniority and success, my next guest specializes in communications, turning technical complexity into compelling stories and operating within the constraints of a regulated or public company. Please welcome Richard Leland to the show. Richard, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? Let's do this. I have to recover, first of all, though, from realizing I've been doing this for 20 years and quite how old that makes me. But having taken that blow, I'm good. Let's do this. Fantastic. You know, I have to say, I love having seasoned marketers on the show. We have a lot of fun. We have a lot of interesting questions in store, if you will. But I want to throw an easy one at you to begin, because I always think it's interesting how CMOs actually find themselves where they are. Some are accidental marketers, some are marketers by trade. Would you be able to give us a brief look at your professional journey and how you actually found yourself as CMO at Cambridge Design Partnership? Sure. So um, I didn't study marketing to begin with. I studied psychology and that was my degree. I graduated in that and didn't really know what I wanted to do other than not pursue psychology. And I actually, just in the, in the need of paying the bills, I got a sales job in a relatively small company, a company of about 150 people. And there's something about businesses of that size where you see all the different functions and how they work, right? It's small enough that you can see the, the living, breathing system. And it was the marketing team that was doing the most interesting work, I thought. So I managed to swing myself a very junior marketing role in this. Um, it was a networking distributor, distributor of networking stuff. And that was the start of a 20-year marketing career. And since then, I've worked uh, mainly for American technology companies running marketing programs. So normally, I'm the, I've been the, the token Brit um, <laughs> marketing for American companies, trying to tell them how the UK and Europe works. So how have you won the argument that words should be spelled with S's and not Z's? How's that going? <laughs> <laughs> I actually deliberately lose that argument, um, I'm afraid. So much as there are there are loads of Brits that want to jealously keep a hold of our language and our spellings. But the reality is we lost that battle a long, long time ago. And I'm all for global English, which means more Z's than S's. Well, I, I'm all for global English as well. Listen, I want to, in like a hot five seconds, one sentence, what value does Cambridge Design Partnership bring to your customers? So we are an end-to-end design and development partner or an end-to-end innovation partner, I guess. So big blue-chip global clients or um, well-funded startups come to us um, to build, to develop innovative things on their path. I like it. So I'm sure though, you know, just kind of thinking this as you shared that, there is no shortage of things that may be keeping you up at night professionally. And in the spirit of the podcast, 
right? Being radically transparent. Would you be able to share with me some of the things as CMO that is keeping you up at night? Yeah. I guess at a, at a most fundamental level, it's letting go and you know, letting the, the members of my team get on with their work and do the very best they can with a minimum of kind of like top-down control from me and just trusting that that'll work. <laughs> you know, you, you, I have ideas about what I think we should be doing, how we should be doing it. But ultimately, there's a point where I let go and my team members step up and get the work done. Um, but it's not easy to let go and to allow them to, to sink or swim, right? Um, often people approach challenges. In fact, in, in all cases, members of my team approach challenges differently to the way I would have done it. Um, and I have to allow that, support that, encourage it. Uh, but it's stressful, right? Absolutely. Listen, it's, it's definitely not easy to let go. And the minute you said that, I had the Frozen Elsa song playing through my head, you know, let it go from Frozen. But it isn't easy, right? Because at the end of the day, when numbers whether they're being hit or they're not being hit, it falls on your shoulder. And at the end of the day, everyone also is human. So how do you balance that letting it go, having that trust with making sure that the processes and the human errors stay to a minimum? Yeah. There isn't a single simple answer to that. That's an ongoing, difficult challenge, right? I... I meet with my team members on an individual basis quite regularly, um, certainly weekly, um, and then the team meets twice a month. And there's just a lot of sharing that goes on, trying to share where everyone is in any given project. And it's an ongoing thing to just kind of manage the work that's being done and to try and understand it as best I can. And I have to be tolerant of people doing things in a way that I'm might not think is the most sensible way, right? <laughs> um, I, and you have to allow people that freedom and flexibility to approach their work in their chosen way. But, you know, much as people might, um, you know, someone might run an event differently to how I would have preferred it to have been run, but also they're going to offer things that I don't offer, right? You know, members of my team have experience I don't have. They have ideas that I don't have. So there's a plus side to it as well, but, you know, that letting go and, and trusting the team. And I guess what I hope to do, a, a big part of what, how I, a big part of how I approach my role is to set strategic objectives for the team and big on the front foot things that I want them to achieve. And then we check in on those. We call them big rocks the big rocks that every team member has. And we check in on those on a very regular basis. And that is my attempt to make sure that the day-to-day -day flood of requests that always come into a marketing team isn't dominating at the expense of the strategic objectives that we in the marketing team think are important, right? That we're not getting flooded by incoming requests. We're on the front foot doing the things that we agreed at the start of the year were important. And we check in really regularly on those big rocks, and doing that gives me the, the trust and the confidence that the team, the function are all going in the right direction. But it's imperfect and, you know, people make mistakes. And uh, there's actually a, um, within our biweekly, it's biweekly twice a week or every two weeks. The meeting we have every two weeks, I never quite know that. But every, every two weeks we meet. And one of the standing bits of the agenda is 
um, to for everyone to say something that went well and something that they got wrong or a mistake they made or a, a failure in some way. And so we're really trying to encourage that kind of open, open culture where people aren't hiding their mistakes, they're sharing them, there's a minimum of criticism and that we learn from them. So that trying to have that culture in place is important, I think. I would agree. You mentioned a few things uh, in that answer. I want to. I want to unpack a few a few pieces. So, you mentioned one of the challenges between you know the team and you know every whether it's quarter or year or fiscal year we have in place a marketing plan or strategy versus the day to day busy tactical work that you know bogs you down. Are you actually following your plan or do you start getting lost in the day to day? And then you also mentioned big rocks, which I think we all know what you're hinting at in terms of what the big rocks are, the most important things or the strategic things. But could you share a little bit, right? When it comes to delivering your marketing strategy and impacting the business, how are you achieving that balance? You hinted to it through the big rocks, but can you, one, so we're on the same page. What do you mean by big rocks? Two, Mm. how are you staying on the front foot using the big rocks. Yeah. So the, the big rocks, is, the way we interpret that, there's a, if you Google it, you'll get lots of different interpretations. But our, our meaning of that is um, those things that, that you have to get done and you should prioritize. And you should still be able to do that while achieving the, the day-to-day minutiae of smaller things, pebbles, sand, and so on. They should fundamentally all fit into your bucket of, of work. So that's, that's kind of our, our interpretation of what that means. So how do we make it work? Well, I think by having a really open culture where people feel able to share the reality of the progress they're making, even if it's really crap progress, even if over the course of the two weeks since the last meeting, no progress has been made against a particular objective. You know, there was good intention, but we never got beyond a good intention. We, we have a culture, I think, I hope, where people are okay with that and are okay to, to say it. Um, so that has helped us. Um, so that worked for us. I mean, every month we report to the entire business um, a version of our monthly report. So we do a monthly report that goes to the, the leadership um, group of the company, which I'm part of. So that's us saying in, at a high level, what are we doing? Then we, we sort of give a, a shortened high-level summary of that to the entire business. And there's something about the way that makes us incredibly accountable that really encourages us to keep focusing on those big rocks because we've told the entire business that these are the big rocks. There's no way they can get (laughs) hidden slightly. There's no way we can shield our real performance, right? Everybody knows exactly what we said we would do. I like that. That that has really helped. Yeah, I like that. And I think it keeps the team accountable to some degree as well, mm -hmm. that it's not just necessarily your eyes, but you've presented now to a few people that everybody is really staying accountable for what they need to own or accomplish or work towards to achieve that quarter or that year. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm pleased that we've put that system in place. I should probably be a bit realistic about it and say that I've, I've been here in this role for just over a year. 
And I'm trying to, you know, develop the culture in, in the way I'm describing here. But it would be a bit silly if I just declared that it's done, that I've established the culture that I've just described to you, and it's perfect and it will continue. So I, I think there are probably still still corners of, you know, I'll just keep that slightly on the lowdown that I haven't managed to achieve that yet. Um, you know, I think there's still, there's work to be done, right? I just don't want to present it as, as you know, I've, I've put this perfect system in place where everyone's accountable and we're all going to achieve all of our objectives. I think it's, <laughs> That's it's the ideal, the ideal marketing team, right? That's what we're all after. But, you know, I do yeah. want to ask something, you know, with 20 years of experience, you know, behind you and kind of approaching, I want to call it, I don't, maybe not the new world. It's not the, the right phrasing, but what I've started to see, and you can keep me honest, is kind of this old school way of working. And this maybe goes to kind of the letting go fear, but there's kind of this old school way of working where things, you know, right, the nine, nine to five or the way things were done. And then there's kind of this new way of working with, you know, working 24 seven, fitting in things in between, less of a, a work life balance, or maybe it's all in one. But I think what's interesting with leadership and different teams, right? And we, we spoke a little bit, of, there's going to be human error. There's going to be things you need to keep your team accountable for. But how do you, how do you basically have a conversation with an individual if performance is not going great or you missed a deadline or there was a human error? How do you have that conversation? How do you address it without letting that person feel that they are, they're the error, that they're, you know, that, that, that it's them, but letting them know that the performance is not up to par or the deadline has been missed? And, and does it, in your opinion today, has that the way that you address things today, has that changed over the years as we see this new pattern of work or everyone working remote? Yeah, I, I do think things have changed quite a bit in the time that I've been in marketing roles, um, including, you know, management styles and what's going to work. If I, if I think about how CDP is organized, we have a, um, a relatively new flexible working policy that is essentially us reflecting the the bits of COVID change that we like and want to hold on to. And so there, is no, there are no longer core hours. Um, pe- you know, there's, there's no expectation people start working at nine and stop at 5.30 or whatever. Um, those, those things are gone. There is a high degree of flexibility and people can work where they want in the world and when they want. And that then implies a move to kind of management by outcomes, right? You, you have a bunch of objectives and we just want you to achieve those objectives. And some of that detail is, is up to the individual. Quite a lot of it is up to the individual. So that is a change. That's not how things used to be. It was expected for in the early part of my career that A, we all were there at the same time and in the same place. And B, that you know the way you were assessed was in large part how you were behaving and the things you were doing day to day, not a focus on the outcomes. So that is a big change, I think. Um, and then how is that? Ch- I, I think it's a bit too early to say what the, what the outcome of that is going to be. You know, a move to real radical flexibility, is, which we've done, 
How will that change how management works? It's, yeah, we're still working it out, really. I would say that in, a, in my personal case, I'm, I'm happy with the team that, that works, works with me. Um, we, we have nobody that is failing. Um, we have people that do great work and sometimes mediocre work and occasionally stumble. But the, the <laughs> fundamental picture is, is that I've got a team of skilled marketers. So that's, that's excellent. It's a good starting point. Um, it's, but it's interesting when you do have someone who is underperforming. And as I say, I don't have anyone underperforming <laughs> right now. But in the past when I have, it's interesting that you end up falling back on slightly more old-fashioned management techniques. You know, getting into, these are the expectations we have of you. We need you to do this, 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 and this. And if you don't do this, 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 and this, then the consequences are going to get progressively more serious. And that is sort of, that's still how, you know, management, sort of improvement plans work. So it's like we fall back on the old-fashioned approach when things aren't going well, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Does that make sense? I, it, I'm it does make a lot of sense. I'm piecing <laughs> my own thinking on it as I go. But that's, oh, you're getting that's radically awesome. transparent. I love it. And I think it does make a lot of sense that, you know, where my mind starts to wonder, again, if, if we've changed the way that we work and we've changed what we're essentially kind of measured on, maybe we all need to start thinking also about how to, to kind of approach those types of conversations as well Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think it's always interesting mm. as well as when I think about people who are onboarding, um, you know, during this time of odd work that you know, many leaders were also used to being in an office and, you know, people learn by watching and by seeing and that's kind of out the window. So it's a very interesting conversation. I think we can have a whole podcast just about the way we work, how it has changed. Um, mm. But, you know, as I was thinking through that, a question popped up in my head. And I, I want to shoot it your way as a CMO. I'm really curious about this because, you know, customers, I think no business would exist without customers. They are, I would say, the lifeblood people, right? But they're fantastic. But as a CMO, I'm just curious to know and throw it out there. How often are you speaking to your clients? What a great and important question. I'm going to answer it directly. Um, but, uh, but not yet. I'm going to get there. Um, you, so, so you, one of your earlier questions was what keeps me awake at night? And this is another of those things that does keep me awake at night, which is, am I speaking to our clients often enough? And I would say that, um, you know, I'm, I'm leading a marketing team and we've got people in the core functions, right? We have a digital marketing team an events lead. We've got, you know, graphic design, all those functions you expect in a marketing team. And to a large part, I'm managing those people and expecting that their work is is brilliant. And it would be possible to do all of that and maybe even do it well while never speaking to a client, right? But certainly I'm making it more likely that I'm doing a bad job if I never speak to clients. So I might might get away with it, but I don't want to get away with it. Um, So the direct answer to your question is two or three times a month, something like that. Um, Normally, my conversations with clients are to ask them to approve a case study that we've written yeah. or to approve a press release that we've written. Um, and so there, there I'll be getting into the detail of what it is we actually did for that client. But just um, as a temporary measure, I'm doing the first line triage for all incoming web inquiries. So anybody in the world who has filled in a form that says, 
you know, I want to talk to you about doing ABC, X, Y, and Z. Normally, we'd have a relatively junior person in a sales function doing that, but I wanted to just, um, you know, stand at the end of that process and kind of measure the quality. We have a newish website, um, not brand new, but newish. So we're still testing quite how well it, um, um, you know, generates incoming inquiries in that way. So I'm literally picking up the phone to all inquiries that come through the door at the moment. I love that. now in January. Yeah, and that's been a really good learning experience. I mean, some really obscure and weird inquiries we get in. <laughs> Don't um, we all? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this for this because it's just hilarious. Um, the other day, I spoke to a guy in Chile who wanted to talk about developing a bovine intravaginal device for introducing cow semen into female okay. cows. No joke. <laughs> We do product development. We also do medical device development. And so actually, it's a perfectly reasonable inquiry to come and ask if we can do that. Now, it so happens that this person actually only wants to reverse engineer products that already exist. And frankly, that's not that's not really our business. So we triage that inquiry out. We're not doing it. But it's, it's just funny that uh, my career took me in the direction of talking about intra-bovine introduction of semen. There you go. I mean, that, that is that. quite the topic. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great that you're kind of in that first line of fire of, of responses coming in and, and just seeing firsthand on the front lines. I think that's a great way to stay connected uh, to kind of the, the boots on the ground, if you will. In yeah. your opinion, putting aside being in the first, first line of fire of responses coming through, what do you think if it was at a perfect world, uh, would be the ideal cadence for a marketing leader to be speaking to customers if there wasn't a million and one things that we all had to do every day? Yeah. So cadence is really difficult. Um, I mean, it has to be a significant part of your day-to-day work, is what I would say. Now, what that means in practice is, is really difficult. But you know, multiple times a month minimum. If you are a business that sells widgets at a high volume and you have thousands of clients, tens of thousands of clients, millions of clients, that's very different to a business like ours where, um, you know, our clients number in the low hundreds and we do very complex product service and technology development projects for clients, right? Um, So, at that level, I would say that I need to be familiar with our top clients. Um, They need to know who I am, and I need to know who they are, and we need to understand each other's worlds. Um, But yeah, there's there's no definitive answer to that, but I suppose what I'm saying is regular (laughs) and be open to being told that the business is, is not, or the market is not how you thought it was. All right. Well, I'll take it. I'll take it. I have two more questions for you before I let you out of the hot seat. So this next one, I think it's a little bit more of a fluffy one, but it's still, we're going to get a little bit transparent about it because I don't always think marketing leaders have the opportunity to be able to, to share with their teams the answer to this question. Uh, but I'm curious to know, after all we've been through the past two years, what is the one thing that you wish most for your team today? 
That's the one thing that I wish most. So I would really love that everybody in my team has found the balance between the work that the business needs them to do and the things that they actually enjoy doing. And they've found a nice balance between those two things because then everyone gets what they want, right? People's careers are developing. People are enjoying their day-to-day work. And me as the leader within the team and also just the business as a whole is getting what we want, right? We have digital marketers doing great digital campaigns. We have, you know, great design being done for the assets that we create. So, so finding that balance and making sure that we have a team that is not just doing the kind of worthy, important, but fundamentally a bit boring stuff, but they're <laughs> finding the opportunity to do the stuff that they enjoy doing. And actually this morning I had a conversation with a, a member of my team on exactly this subject, trying to make sure that in this case, he is doing things he enjoys, right? Because I can see the work we're getting from him is good. The standard is high, but I wasn't totally convinced that he's enjoying it. And so I was trying to understand how can we ensure with a few tweaks, a few changes of direction that he gets to do stuff that's fun for him. I love it. It sounds like you're leading a phenomenal team. So my last question for you, and I've certainly done my due diligence. Anyone listening in wants to follow Richard, go ahead and head over to LinkedIn. A lot of interesting stuff there. But what's one thing that you can tell us about yourself that the average person looking at your LinkedIn profile doesn't know? Oh, oh man. Um, The random nature of my career. Um, I think that one of the things that we all do when we curate something like our LinkedIn profile is to try and tell a coherent story of how brilliant you are in your chosen career. And in doing that curation, I've probably given the sense that there was some master plan of the industry in which I wanted to work and the functions that I wanted to take on. But actually, I've made some quite unusual and random decisions through my career that meant that there wasn't ever really a master plan. There was just feeling how work felt and changing when I didn't enjoy it. So, so it's been much more random and arbitrary than it probably looks from the outside. <laughs> That's great. I have to ask because I, I, I remember you had shared the story and if you can share it, I think that's great. But for anyone who's watching in on YouTube, there's a phenomenal astronaut behind Richard. Can you share that story with us? <laughs> yeah, so I'm a space geek. Um, and I... So, so if, a few years ago, I kind of set myself a challenge to try and understand astrophysics, right? The science of the small universe challenge. at the grand scale. Yeah, small challenge, yeah. Or, or to get as far as I could get as a non-mathematician, right? Unable to, you know, to resolve equations and all that sort of stuff. But to get as far as I could, right? Because that's how the thing, that's the universe that we're in, right? Um, and, and I feel like that's the most fundamental understanding we can possibly have of our place in the universe is to know how the universe is. So I've become a right old space geek. And I literally spend my evenings reading books about black holes and the heat death of the universe and other really joyful subjects like that. Anyway, um, everyone around me knows I'm a space geek, including my parents. And my mother went into an art gallery a few months ago and found that and knew immediately that it was for me. And I'm <laughs> very proud of it. I love um, I've, it. I'm fearful to ask how much it cost my mum because I remember... You know, when you get this sort of, 
you get the flavor of something being really quite expensive or more expensive than you might expect. I got that. And I never asked because it was a gift, but I think it was expensive. <laughs> well, I love it. I love that it is incorporated into your Zoom background. I think it's quite unique. Um, and I want to thank you for joining us, for sharing that story. I want to thank you for joining us as a marketing leader, a CMO, and letting us get inside your head uh, for the past 30 minutes. And you brought some great insight and things to think about um, as we approach 2022. So thank you. And uh, if anyone listening in wants to continue the conversation, learn more about what it is you do or how they can work with you, what's the best way? I know you, you shared you're the first line uh, if they send in a, a, an inquiry through the website, but what is the best way to reach you? <laughs> straight to LinkedIn, Richard Leyland, you'll find me straight away. Fantastic, Richard. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. It's great speaking with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.